An end to any era is always difficult to come to terms with. Maybe the first member of a family circle passes away, or maybe the last member of a generation dies. Maybe a shop closes down after years of business, or maybe someone retires and the place will never be the same again without them. But life goes on, doesn't it? A new generation always rises up to take on the challenges. The children of Israel were faced with the end of an era. Moses is dead. The leading character of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy has passed from the scene. He did not die of old age, for although he was 120 years old, we read just there now, his eye, uh, you read in Deuteronomy 34, verse 7, his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. Of the 600,000 fighting men over the age of 20, when they left Egypt 40 years earlier, as well as women, only two entered the promised land, Caleb and Joshua. The rest had been sentenced to die in the wilderness 38 years earlier at Kardesh Barnea when they failed to go in and take the land of Canaan which God had offered to them at the time. Hebrews 3 verse 19 says, they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Even Moses, their great leader, would also be punished for, for disobedience by not being allowed into the promised land. And now he was also dead. And the mantle of leadership had passed to one of these two survivors, Joshua. The king was dead. Long live the king. No matter who we are, or we think we are, we are not indispensable. We might be irreplaceable as a person, but not indispensable. Life goes on. Every politician and minister learns that at some stage. Life goes on without them or not. And now Moses was gone. The great leader was no more. And the people were not even in the promised land. And yet someone was still needed to take up the mantle and lead them there. That responsibility was given to Joshua. Joshua, the son of Nun, the grandson of the chief of the tribe of Ephraim, called by the family name Hosea, which means salvation. Moses added the divine name, called him Yeshua, from which we get Joshua, the Greek translation being Jesus. The book of Joshua that we're going to be looking at in our autumn series this year records the invasion of Canaan by Israel and its partition among the tribes. It tells in detail how they crossed the river, secured a bridgehead, and how they broke the power of the Canaanites and the other tribes who lived there. The book is primarily an historical account of how God kept his promise to bring his people into the promised land. 
Joshua is not just the author of it, but Joshua is a hero of it as well. Its theme can be found there in 1 verse 11. Take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. But that was going to be easier said than done. So here in chapter 1 of this great book, the Lord comes to speak to Joshua of the challenge that lies ahead. And in these opening five verses, we find Joshua's commission to the leadership of the nation. We see 30 days of national grieving was set aside in Deuteronomy 34, verse 8. They were now over. And the Lord comes to Joshua and says to them, says to him there in verse 2, Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River. And you'll know the Jordan River from even modern day maps where it runs down and the river formed the eastern border of Canaan. The Israelites' victory over the inhabitants of the land was not going to be won so much won as to be received. Yes, they were going to be called upon to fight, but to fight battles for which God would take the responsibility and which victory was already assured. Someone has written, perhaps the greatest quality in men and women of God is the capacity to receive. It is not the capacity to create or to produce that is the mark of spiritual reality of, and of true godliness, but the humility to receive what God alone can give and to trust what God alone can do. Joshua's commission here was to claim the land. God had already set it apart for the Israelites, and for 40 years he had been telling them it was theirs to receive. But for Joshua and for the people to enjoy it, they had to set foot on it. They had to claim it. They had to physically cross the River Jordan. And this involved a deliberate act of obedience on their part. They had to claim the promise. There is a gift which is promised to each one of us here this morning. It is assured before the creation of time. It is, of course, the gift of eternal life, the gift that God has prepared a place for us from which the Lord Jesus will come one day to take us to be with him. But we need to claim it. We need to receive it. We need to welcome it by the simple act of obedience called faith. So simple so uncomplicated that even a child can receive it. But you see, before we get to go to live there and enjoy the fullness of the promise, there will be battles, there will be conflicts to face. But like Joshua, we can face the confrontations with confidence because of the assurance that God gave all those years ago and which are still relevant to us today. God promised Joshua there in verse 5, no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your lives. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. 
See, everything that was available to Moses would be available to Joshua, and everything that was available to Joshua remains available to us today. None of Joshua's success would be because of himself, his strategy, or his strategic power. It would be because of God's promise to him that I will never leave you nor forsake you. And that was his and still is the greatest weapon that any Christian can have in their arsenal, the personal presence of God in their lives. They would need courage if they were going to cross the river to possess the land, to face up to the enemies. But they would find that courage, not in themselves, but in God. It would only come from God, but because it came from him, then they would not be discouraged. Friends, when each of us commit our lives to Christ, we are commissioned for service. Did you know that? You can't be a follower and not be a servant. You can't call yourself a Christian and not be a soldier. You can't sign up for a light duty charge and not be prepared to face the front line. Where the church is growing, it is on the offensive. It is living out, working out its faith before a watching world. It's when we hide behind walls, when we say my faith is personal and I wouldn't want to force it onto anyone else, then we're simply being disobedient to the greatest commission when the Lord Jesus said, go into all the world. So not only was Joshua commissioned here, but he was also secondly instructed in the principles of success. And the first of these principles is found in verse 6, and we're using it as the title of our series, Be Strong and Courageous. Be strong and courageous. Even though it was a fact that God would give the land to the Israelites, this did not mean that there, there would be no need to show courage. Any kind of warfare or Christian commitment will take obedience and trust and courage. Obedience often means taking risks. If we're going to trust in the Lord with all our heart, if we're going to serve the Lord with an undivided heart, if we're going to worship him with heart and mind and soul and strength, then that means that we will need to be strong and courageous. Three times in these verses, God reminds Joshua that this is what he wants him to be. Be strong and courageous. And he might well be saying that to you this morning as he was saying it to the children up front. Do you struggle with the future? How can you face it or handle it on your own? Then be strong and courageous, for I am with you and my grace is sufficient to meet your needs, says God. Do you worry about forthcoming exams or what you will do with your life? Then be strong and courageous because I have plans for your life, plans not to harm you but to prosper you, plans to give you hope, says the Lord. Do you worry about your health? 
Do you worry about your family? Are the battles you are fighting within and without almost overwhelming at times? Then be strong and courageous. Cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. Some years ago, the late Billy Graham wrote these words. Many people today are living in the bondage of fear. In a recent study, a psychiatrist said that the greatest problem facing patients was fear. Afraid of going insane, being, in lo- being alone, of heart disease, cancer, disaster, or death. We are becoming a nation of fearful people. Down through the centuries, in times of trouble, temptation, trial, bereavement, and crisis, God has brought courage to the hearts of those who love him. The Bible is crowded with assurances of God's help and comfort in every kind of trouble which might cause fears to arise in the human heart. And then he concludes like this. Today, the Christian can come to the scriptures with full assurance that God is going to deliver the person who puts his trust and confidence in God. Christians can look into the future with promise, hope, joy, and without fear, discouragement, or despondency. A principle of success in the Christian life is, as it was for Joshua, to be strong and courageous. The second of these principles for Joshua, and ultimately for us, was, be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. The perfect will that God had for Joshua's life and that of the nation, as they were about to cross over into the promised land, lay within the plan revealed in the law, which he gave to Moses, and Moses in turn gave to him. I came across this useful little alliteration during the week as to how the law of the Lord should preoccupy our lives. Mr. Johnson would be proud of it. First of all, it should be present in the mouth. Do not let this book depart from your mouth, it says there in verse 8. Joshua was not just to hear the word, but he was to speak it too. Secondly, it should be preeminent in the mind. Verse 8 again, meditate on it day and night. To meditate is to concentrate the mind, to think through, to contemplate, uh, to explore. It speaks about how we can get our minds around the truth that is held within the word of God. And the result of meditation is familiarity. And then thirdly, it should preside over the will. Be careful to do everything written in it. Again, verse 8, someone has written, the law of God is not to enrich our knowledge, but to govern our action. The fuller the obedience, the greater the understanding. The scriptures, the Bible, this book that we have in our hands is to be present in our mouths, it is to be preeminent in our minds, and it must preside over our wills. But when we walk away from this book, we will get disorientated, and we will lose all sense of direction, and we will lose our point of reference, we will lose our focus and our priorities, and our values, and our understanding 
of sin will change. And that is why we need to be people who treat this book with respect and honor that it is indeed the living word of God. So after all of these personal instructions, Joshua goes on to speak to the people. There is this final camp in the wilderness wander to get ready. The tribes knew what was happening. It had all been sorted out by Moses. And all of them were to cross over the river Jordan, except the Reubenites and the Gadites and half the uh, tribe of Manasseh. They would remain on the east bank, but there was a commitment that the fighting men would cross over with the rest, help them secure the land before they would go back home to settle the land that they had been given. So three days to get two million people mobilized, packed up, ready to move. Joshua used those three days to spy out the land across the Jordan River, which we'll get to next week or the week after. So when all the commands were given by Joshua, we have the response of the people there in verse 16. Whatever you have commanded us, we will do. They were under the authority of Joshua in the same way that he was under the authority of God. But that was not all. They go, they go on, and wherever you send us, we will go. See, once they crossed the river, they were not going just to make up their own plans or, or go in their own direction or, or do their own thing. They were promising to submit to the authority of Joshua's direction. They would relate to Joshua in the same way as they related to Moses. And then the third promise there in verse 17, just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Now that was one promise that might not have impressed Joshua as much as the others because the people's record of obedience to Moses was not particularly impressive in the past. But still their prayer is that the Lord may be with him as he was with Moses. And then lastly, they promise that rebels will not be tolerated. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey your words will be put to death there in verse 18. And so we find the chapter finishing with these great words of encouragement at the end of verse 18. The first principle of success Words which I want you to take from this passage and bring with you into the week in the situations that lie ahead, non known or unknown. Be, be, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Or as we sang with the children, be bold, be strong, for the Lord your God is with you. And may our response be like that of the people, that wherever you have commanded us, whatever you have commanded us, we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. We will obey you and not rebel against your word. Be strong. Be courageous. Let us pray.
To this I hold. My shepherd will defend me. Through the deepest valley he will lead. Oh, the night has been won, and I shall overcome. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Father God, help us to be bold and strong this week. Only you know why we need to be so. But we ask that by your grace, that by your strength, we might claim the promises of salvation. And through those promises, claim the victory so that we might live as bold, strong, courageous people. For the glory of Christ, we ask it. Amen.